Hello and welcome to another episode of our show. Today's episode was previously recorded as a live stream for the Women Against Violence Against Women streaming event. Uh, there is a link to donate to the cause because that's what this was for. It was for charity. So please do that. Um, it could be up to $20 or a dollar, whatever it is, but it goes to a good cause in helping survivors of of domestic violence, sexual assault, and etc. We have with us uh, Dahlia Israel, who is the president of WAVA. I have a hard time saying that because it's a W-A-V-A-W. I don't know why. That's just me. Anyways, uh, the link is on our Instagram. Please do check that out. And we have a wonderful conversation about why we need to address the issues of violence against women and other marginalized groups. Thank you for listening. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. This is an open mind. And you're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. Dahlia, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the, you're the president of WAVAW. Um, well, we refer to my position as executive director, but, um, yeah, I am, I am deeply surrounded by a a team of incredible leaders. And, uh, so I often refer to us as the leadership team, but yes, I am Weva's executive director. Wonderful. Now, Mm -hmm. how long, how long have you been doing that for? Because, uh, women against violence against women has been around, I think since 1982. Yes. Yeah. So we've been around since 82. I actually started at WAVA in 2002 as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I went through our, at that time, 21 weeks of training to answer our crisis line uh, and then went on to do hospital accompaniment and spent a long time in our victim services program, actually, um, supporting survivors through the medical system and through the criminal legal system and other kind of quasi-judicial systems. Mm-hmm. Um that people often seek for accountability. And then uh, I became the manager of the volunteer program and our inclusion work um, and our educational outreach and then have been in this position for the last two years. Wow. So um, a little bit about uh, the organization. Is it just based in British Columbia or is it it kind of all over Canada? Yeah, so... Great question. We so our our headquarters, so to speak, are in Vancouver. Um, we do do a lot of national and provincial work. Our crisis line and our uh, chat support is available nationwide. Um, so we do get calls from across Canada. Um, and in the past, we've received international phone calls on our toll-free line from maybe parents who have kids going to UBC or um, have family members in Vancouver that they're needing to try to bridge some supports for. Um, but I think that our social media is followed pretty worldwide. Um, when we published our accountability letter to the sex worker community a couple of years ago, we received letters and emails and tweets and um, re- just responses from as far away as Australia. So wow. it's, it's always interesting to think about impact. You just don't really know how, where your impact is, is kind of headed, but 
Yeah. It's especially in this day and age, I mean, with, with the internet, I mean, our, our reach is global. Yes. Right. Especially yeah. when, when what we're doing is something that is heard, you know, like, yeah. so, so tell us a little bit about, about this, this document about the, the, the treatment of, of sex workers. Is that correct? The accountability letter. Yeah. Account, excuse me. Accountability letter. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, for a long time, Weva had been taking a position that, the Nordic model, um, which basically sees um, people buying sex and people living and supporting sex workers um, as arrestable and criminalized um, while trying not to criminalize the sex workers themselves and for um, looking at wanting to abolish or eradicate sex work entirely. Um, and so for a long time, we we took that position as an organization and published a document um, and just uh, was really harmful. Like it was really impacting people very seriously and it was really um, not aligned with our values as far as believing um, sex workers about their ability to be autonomous and, and have agency and know what's best for them. Um, so it it didn't align anymore for us, and so we we released a letter um, repositioning ourselves um, mm. as calling for the decriminalization of sex work um, and just making it really clear that we wanted to be a place where sex workers felt seen and heard and cared for, and that we were a safe place to be and to access services and to know that as an organization, we stood behind them to, um, to determine like self-determine for themselves, what their working conditions needed to be and, and to listen to them about what was creating, um, a lack of safety in relation to the laws and policies and, right. and all of those pieces. And, um, and so, yeah, it was a really important step for us to take as an organization. And it was also, um, I think within feminism, it's just, um, it's become a very, um, yeah, divisive position, um, which is just really unfortunate. Um, I, I mean, really it is right. Because yeah. who's, who's making it divisive? Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we are, it, it's, um, it's entirely within, within the movement. We have the capacity to, um, to choose not to make it divisive, but it, it continues to be, um, a point of divisiveness. And I, I think it's similarly, um, with the hatred that we see around, um, trans inclusion, which I think is, is also an area where we had to do a lot of reckoning as an organization to be accountable to trans community, um, which we also did um, kind of the year before that, where we opened our services up at WAVA. So we don't actually go by Women Against Violence Against Women anymore. We just, we rebranded as WAVA Rape Crisis Center, and we will likely be thinking about a name change again in our 40th year. Um, oh my God. Time flies. Yeah, 82. I know. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I know. We're going we're gonna to be grown adults in a minute here. So we got to think about how we want to show up in the world. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think that, so in 2018, we opened up our services to what we now consider to be all marginalized genders. Mm. Um, 
And that for us includes two spirit people as well as um, all trans and gender diverse people uh, as well as cis and trans women. And so um, that was a really important step for us just to acknowledge that um, many trans people were at the origins of our movement in the anti-violence movement and have always been a part of our movements. And for many folks, once they started um, aligning their pronouns um, with how they wanted to be authentic in the world, that that meant that many of them had to leave the feminist anti-violence movement. And that for us just wasn't okay. Um, so yeah, so it's been a, a lot of years practicing accountability and, um, you know, growth and change and um, ensuring that we're, we're listening to community and making sure that our programming is relevant and the messaging that we're putting out and the politics that we stand behind are also aligned for us. I think that's the most important thing. I mean, in the, in, again, going back to the, the internet is such a wonderful place and also a, a very malicious place, of course. Yes. But in, in hearing these voices and finding spaces and communities for the marginalized, mm -hmm. such as transgender, two-spirited, um, you know, uh, people who deemed who are deemed the other. But I have yeah. to be careful with my 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 camera here; it's a little <laughs> bit smaller. Yeah. Um, but but certainly in terms of the feminist movements, uh, not forgetting like because feminism is so broad. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 traditionally, typically speaking, feminism was white feminism. Right. Mm -hmm. There was a sort of elitism attached to that. And now we need to consider, you know, all women. Right. Yeah. And protecting all women. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that has been, you know, in the last decade, that's a piece of consciousness that we're we're coming towards. Mm -hmm. Would you would you kind of agree is that I mean, we're still sort of stumbling through what feminism is in the 21st century. I think it just, it's, it evolves with us and we have to be, yeah. we have to be alive to that. Like people have to be willing to let go, um, and grieve whatever they need to grieve and, um, like hold on to their pieces of magic for themselves. But I think as a collective movement, um, like we need to be continuing to ask like who yeah. it's serving um, and who it's not serving, like who's not showing up to conversations. Um, and, and I think that's a lot of the time for WAVA, what we want to be doing, like, you know, we can see who's coming through our doors, but the question is like, who's not coming through our doors and what is standing in the way of them not coming through the doors. Um, and I think who, it's the same with the movement in general. Who, who is like, are, are you aware of groups that you would like to be coming to the table that aren't for, for waiver? I mean, I think part of our launching our transformative justice pilot project, um, we have some things in the works around um, creating better access to medical care. Um, so we have a sexual assault response team that we're just mm -hmm. about to launch that will have more capacity to do accompaniments to um, other types of medical appointments in post-sexual assault healthcare other than the hospital. So right now, I think many of us in the anti-violence movement are reflecting on how we've been unintentionally um, crafted by the law and order response to sexual violence. Um, and so in the nonprofit world, 
you know, funding and government priorities and all of those things come into play when you're, when you're running a nonprofit, when you're not doing grassroots kind of community care work. And so I think there's many lessons to be learned about the unintended consequences of, for a very long time, sexual violence being seen as a law and order issue, because what that means is that you have forensic evidence collection that gets prioritized. And Which is traumatizing. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah. in Vancouver, in Vancouver, we have what I often refer to as kind of the Cadillac of services. It's, it's a healthcare focused program, mm. um, but it's still inside a hospital. And if COVID taught us anything, it was that that was not going to be a priority for the hospital. So for many months, we had that program suspended. Um, So for me, that means even more, it's time to act to figure out a way that we can provide services um, that are health centered. um, Mm -hmm. And also consider the fact that, you know, so many folks experience such intense racism within the medical system. Um, In Canada, we have a horrid horrid um, legacy of, of colonization and, and expecting Indigenous folks to access um, medical systems and hospitals is just such a violation. And, um, and when they do, there was the, there was the woman in, uh, I, I believe- Quebec. Was, there was Quebec and there was one in northern BC. Yes. And her, her child yes, passed Terrace. away. Yeah. Because she, Terrace, thank you. Yeah. Because she couldn't get medical service. Yeah. And, and, and there is like- you know, there's a, I see myself as a humanist, which is rich. Cause it's like, what is that? But you see people as human beings. Yeah. And there's a legacy of us not treating people who don't look like me yeah. as inferior, less than human. And, and that needs to stop. I mean, which, which you nailed it on the head when you're saying that we have to adapt as we go. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not like, okay, we're done. You know, we've included everybody. Right. But Things are changing as we speak, and that's just the way that the world is. And we Absolutely. need to accommodate them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for now, sure. In in British Columbia, I mean, and, and the other fact is, is, you know, the, the title of this show fits perfectly into this category because I'm not a woman. Um, you know, I'm probably wrong about everything, but for for it's like, do we have to wait until we have skin in the game for this to be important to people like myself? You know, mm. do I have to, cause I have a daughter, she's 18 months old. Mm-hmm. Do I have to wait until she's a victim? Cause one out of three women become victims mm-hmm. until I do something about it. Mm-hmm. So what can the everyday person do to, to combat, if that's the right word, to combat sexual violence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the stats are so interesting. So yes, mm-hmm. it's one in three women. It's also one in two trans people. And it's also one. In one two. Yeah, one in two oh trans God. people. And then it's also one in six boys before they're yeah. 18, right? So I think we, privilege is like a really tragic thing, right? Like it offers people who like the things that they're getting from their privilege a lot. Um, And it can also put blinders on the things that their privilege is actually just like kind of ruining for them. Um, Mm. When I used to do a lot of youth work in our, in our educational outreach stuff, we used to have a game called the we all lose game Um, because things that we 
don't necessarily see as high stakes um, actually doesn't allow people to live fully authentically. So I think part of getting buy-in or getting skin in the game is like actually making people believe that their life could be so much more rich and so much more incredible if they didn't have to live into what toxic masculinity had to offer them or toxic femininity had to offer them or that choosing a gender that aligned more closely with who they actually felt like they were in the world was a total possibility and an option and that people would love them up to death for that. Um, and that sex should be fun and exciting and not a chore and not something that you have to be ashamed of or scared of that, like all of these things are possible. Um, but I feel like there's such an intense hold, um, in this very Puritan capitalist mm. culture that just continues to entrench these things to make us believe that there are such things as norms, um, that we should all aspire to these X, Y, and Zs that are very much entrenched in like cis hetero whiteness. Um, and that there just isn't anything else, right? And so, yeah, I think that balance between giving people the idea that that their privilege might also be harming them, oh. um, you know, like, and that treating each other with kindness and dignity is totally free. There's actually no scarcity of safety in this world. That's also like a capitalist lie. Um, say, so sorry, say, say that one more time. Yeah, we are taught from a very young age, um, particularly girls and trans people, um, that scarcity mm. is a scare. Safety is a scarcity. Safety is a scarcity. Yeah. So there's there's only limited amounts of safety in the world, and and that really goes into this narrative where, you know, people are 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 putting themselves at risk. Um, or mm. they need to be not going out drinking and they right, can't right. get, you know, don't go home with said person or carry your keys or don't run in the park. Like all of that tells us that there is only a finite amount of safety in the world. And that if we don't follow this huge running list of things to increase our safety, um, that then we're culpable for the fact yeah. that we then experience violence. Right. And, and that stuff has been taught to people, you know, black men about just like living their lives every day to, um, you know, youth that are facing homelessness to girls and women to trans people, like not going after their authentic identity and living into who they are because they're going to be at risk for transphobia. And that somehow that all all of that gets put on people who are experiencing oppression and marginalization in our society, as opposed to us really interrogating those systems that are actually just holding that stuff up. Cause mm. none of that is inevitable. Um, yeah. That's the other lie is, and that's what rape culture just continues to offer us is that these things are inevitable and they will happen. Uh, you're better off to just be prepared of how you're going to respond or react when it happens, um, which is garbage. It doesn't it actually doesn't need to be that way? Well, and I, I spoke with uh, with someone, an author. Her name is uh, Amelia Zacharias, and she's 
a writer and, and shares about how she was. Uh, what well, here's here's the other kind of conjecture. Uh, I don't know if I use that word properly, but is there a difference between rape and sexual assault? Because mm. it, it it seems like in the states that's the word that they use is rape, and in Canada it's sexual assault. So is yeah. there is there a difference? Um, yes, it's very legal in nature, and I'm happy mm. to share that with you. Um, so we oh good. The dog just attacked a small car, which I'm going to pick up. So I'm going to go off screen for one second <laughs> hey, and keep it's talking. All right. It's um, alive. <laughs> so you real? Yeah, exactly. Uh, nothing real other than the pandemic. Um, okay, so yes, 1983 in Canada, uh, Weva was part of. There was a caravan that went across Canada of feminist, anti-violence people who were trying to change the criminal code of Canada. Um, so prior to 1983, the criminal code, uh, was rape. And, and, and sorry to, sorry to interject, but, but yeah. that's a pretty big time. Cause Huge. wasn't, wasn't that when Trudeau was introducing the, the new bill of code? I don't know. I don't know my history, but there was a big, it was, it was essentially Canada had its own legal system in, I think around that time, maybe it was 1981 mm. or 1982. Before that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I imagine this might have coincided it was, with that. Yeah. It was just, yeah, a really, I think, a hotbed of uh, really big activism and changes to a lot of, of governmental policy, um, particularly in regards to, um, I think, topics that were maybe considered taboo um, in the past. So, yeah, so we had rape um, on our books prior to 83 and... I think what was happening was that it didn't represent the actual experiences of people experiencing harm. So at that time, they changed it from rape to sexual assault. And what it started to include was the full continuum of sexual violence. Um, so anything from touching and kissing all the way up until kind of what we consider or conceptualize to be penetrative rape um, was now possible under the sexual assault codes. Because prior to that, if it wasn't a penis and a vagina and penetration happening, there was no charge. Mm. It also meant, it also meant that men could not charge other men with sexual violence. Mm. Um, It also meant that spouses, um, once they signed off on a marriage contract, that that was like infinite consent. So you couldn't charge your spouse with sexual assault prior to 1983. And so that was the, a very limited definition um, under our criminal code. And so after 1983, there was that significant change. And now we have three levels of sexual assault on our books um, and level one is, is basically anything from groping and touching. Um, and then it just escalates with additional pieces of violence and, um, manipulation or coercion, um, in kind of level two and level three. So that's probably why you hear a difference in language. Um, I think people find the word rape to be outdated and, um, perhaps to, too intense. Um, so I think a lot of people will, will use sexual assault, 
um, to to describe the full gamut. But um, I think the, the concept of rape culture took off, um, you know, and thank goodness it did. Because I think uh, sexual assault stereotypes doesn't quite have the same, it doesn't get to the same heart of what rape culture allows us to to discuss under that larger umbrella. Do, do you do you mind explaining a little bit, um, you know, for the explain what rape culture is if if, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think rape culture um, started coming about in maybe the mid two thousands. Um, I want to say it's mm. most. I forget the person who came up with the term, which is awful. Um, I can look that up and make sure that I've got that before we sign off today. Um, That's okay. I'll I'll look it up while you're doing it. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Um, So yeah, rape culture really moved us from having conversations around stereotypes in relation to sexual assault to um, talking about the nuances where the everyday um, numbing of mm-hmm. how sexual violence gets dealt with. Um, so the the piece around inevitability, for instance, uh, is one huge piece of what we talk about when we're talking about rape culture, that somehow that sexual violence is inevitable and it will happen, and that that's part of our indoctrination into this culture that we often refer to as rape culture. Um, Other things are just that violence is sexy, um, and that we should expect uh, our partners or our lovers to to want to be violent towards us, and that we should be totally game for that. And if we're not, that we're, you know, too vanilla or snowflakes or whatever that is. Um, That... um, that sexism is just part of the way that people are going to kind of dance with attraction and intimacy, um, that all of those pieces, um, I often, you know, think about that whole movement of pickup artists, um, that there's like, you know, there, that women should just be ready and, and willing and, um, always game and that, um, that there's this entitlement to, to whatever it is, um, that people need and want. So I think it's and, just, and, the... and, and thinking about, and sorry to interject, no, that's okay. thinking about what that message says to young men. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. And like, Oh yeah. You know, you just say these words and act like you don't care and, and you'll get any chick bro. And it's like, uh, you, we are setting, we are perpe- we're perpetuating yeah. this, the violence here yeah. by, by, by having these messages of, you know, you just go to a bar and you do this and, and then you get a woman like that yeah. doesn't, or, or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. And apparently it was Joyce E. Williams. Does that sound right? Mm. I was thinking Melissa something, but. Okay. I... That's the one that I, I said 1975, but. Oh, amazing. That's. Definitely. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll read Great. what Dr. Google told me just to make sure. Awesome. Sociology professor Joyce E. Williams traces the origin and first usage of the term rape culture to, oh, to 1975 documentary film Rape Culture produced and directed by Margaret Lazarus and Rainier 
Wooderlich for Cambridge Documentary Films. She said okay. the film takes credit for the first divide. Okay, so. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There you, yeah. But so you talked about toxic masculinity, and I think that toxic masculinity and rape culture, they kind of, I mean, kind of is like a weak word. I think they do deeply coincide with one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, and I, I think it's important that we also identify the fact that toxic masculinity can live in any gendered body. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's only owned by mm-hmm. cis men. Um, I think that the whole concept of like instant gratification, um, that like domination, um, that entitlement are all, um, signifiers of, um, I don't know, like success and what people should strive for. Like, I think that there are also women who embody that as well. Um, and it is what we've all been told is the marker of success in this life, Mm, in this capitalist life. Right. Yeah. That's how we define power, which is a real shame because power, it doesn't need to be negative. Like it doesn't need to be power over you. We can actually be very powerful, um, in a whole myriad of ways, whether we're influencing people, whether we're sparking joy in people, whether we're, um, seeing our kid do awesome stuff because they feel super about themselves. Like those are all pieces of power that we should definitely strive for and embody. Um, I think it's the power over piece that is so deeply tied to patriarchy and, um, and toxic masculinity that really does a number on us. Um, And I think that because we live in such a Puritan culture because of so many um teachings religious teachings dogmatic yeah. teachings um I, I, i'm with you on that one don't you worry we yeah we miss we miss out on on so many things um and we really see sexuality and sex as something that is that should be owned and that should be controlled and it becomes so contrived and then it becomes this thing that people feel like they should have the right to, um, which essentially disappears anyone else that they're engaging in because it's all about them. Um, which is, which is why, you know, consent is really important, but there's also limitations to consent. Like when, if somebody feels completely entitled to have their sexual needs met, uh, it really won't matter whether somebody says yes or no, you know, um, it's, it's kind of the consent conversation is obviously important, but it's, it's also lim- limiting in its usefulness when there are these other larger teachings that are so much more influential for people. And, and also I imagine that somebody could say yes, because they're worried what the consequences are if they were to say no. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you're you're like like i think that people we've we kind of some of us fail to put people who are against the 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 movement of of the work that you do 
I think they kind of fail to put themselves in the situation. You know, people mm. who are like, well, what were you doing? You know, like, you know, look at yourself. Well, maybe try and put yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, say you're at this person's house and you realize I don't want to be here. You know what I mean? And then it's like, even, even there, there's so many problems even around consent, right? Yeah. And we live in such a, 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 a culture of shame. You know, I, I, Bernie Brown talks about it. Uh, uh, Dr. Robert Augustus talks about it. I'm probably saying his name wrong, but anyways, shame is, it also can like, it keeps the cycle of violence continuing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is the problem of shame. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm curious what your, your sort of understanding is on, on the shame culture that we live in and how to kind of undo it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shame. Um, Again, like I think it goes back to, so I'm a sociologist um, by by nature, I think a little bit. So anytime I think about where these roots kind of find themselves, I, I think about the structures that we've been given. Um, and so I think about the legacy of imperialism and of colonization across Turtle Island. So across North America writ large, um, just how much shame is in the fact that, you know, people were owned in these lands, you know, that human beings were actually owned. Um, And so the very lands that we live on, um, people were, had their language and their traditions stolen, um, were told that they were worthless and heathen. Um, There's so much of a thick crust of a foundation of shame. Um, and, and we, you know, Canada and the U S neither of our governments have reckoned with those realities in meaningful Mm -hmm. ways, you know? Um, so I think that as individuals who are living in a militarized world, uh, where domination runs rampant continues to, um, where we don't have role models of institutions, um, that show us good accountability. Um, when we screw up instantly, um, our guts will tell us we've screwed up. And then the next thing that we do is how do we cover this up? Um, because if I cop to the fact that I've done harm, I'm going to be labeled a monster. Um, I might be canceled. I may be thrown out of my social circle. I might lose my social capital and I can't I can't deal with any of those things. Um, so I might as well just hunker down and, and try not to, to deal with it or try to avoid being accountable for it. Um, so I think we really, as a society, if we want to invest in, in humans, we need to start building people's capacity for accountability. Um, and I think that has to happen first and foremost. And it can't be... Um, like reinvesting in the criminal legal system or the policing system. It needs to be about building people's capacity of like how to show up when you've done wrong and Mm -hmm. screwed up um, so that we can really deeply in our guts know that we can come back to each other and say, you know what? I just totally effed up. Um, And here are the ways that like I can recognize that and, I want to get help to, to figure it out. And I might never be okay with you, but 
like I want you to know that I'm going to do better for my community or our family or whatever, you know? Um, but there's, again, like, I feel like shame will keep us in a place where we just can't, we can't get there. Um, shame perpetuates, it perpetuates violence and pain. Yeah. You know, and, and, yeah. and we are social creatures and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that certainly doesn't help, but yeah. the, the legacies that may be in terms of, you know, uh, really it's white supremacist culture, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the idea of perfectionism and, you know, all these things and, and, and white lies. Why is it called a white lie? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it called a white lie, right? I just thought of that now. But anyways. Yeah. <laughs> is that the dog? That's the dog. Yep. <laughs> He's digging. Digging in his bed. What, what, what type of dog is he? He's a, a frog. He's oh, a French, pug? A pug Frenchie. So a frog. Pugs are my favorite dog, but my, my wife's like, no, you can't get a pug. They're too ugly. And I'm like, okay. Oh. So. Well, yeah, he's mixed with a, a French bulldog, which are my favorites. And um, I don't know. He's a very sweet baby dog. But he is a puppy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, puppies are good. Now, okay, so you, you have kids, correct? I have one. Yes, I have a six-year-old. Six, okay. Uh, boy. Yeah, Girl, he's yeah. he definitely prefers uh, male pronouns, hundred yes. uh, percent. Yeah. So raising raising a, a, a boy, the pronoun mm-hmm. boy in this mm-hmm. society, mm-hmm. how how difficult is that? Because you you again raising him with 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 the how do, is virtue the right word? You know, like with <laughs> the right tools. How yeah. do you raise? raise it a young person a young person with the right tools yeah so he has lots of lots of additional layers he's so i'm jewish my partner is from ghana so he's a bi-raced black jewish boy okay he checks a lot of boxes that's (laughs) great yeah um so yeah i'm i'm hyper aware of that um and we i think we've focused since he was itty bitty about just having good emotional intelligence Mm. um and feeling really connected to his to his people to his story um he goes to like an outdoor farm school where they do um kind of a restorative justice principles if there's harm caused um and so i feel super privileged to have opportunities to give him those opportunities and to to keep talking about that we're pretty involved in in our synagogue and um you know i do my my own work with our synagogue to make sure that jews of color are seen and have a place to be um to feel welcomed and to have relevant kind of programming and content and that sort of thing so those are also important conversations that he's witnessing me be a part of as he grows up. Um, but yeah, I was when I found out that I was having um, a baby, um, it, it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Yes. Um, yeah, right. And yeah, I mean, I think for me, he's on his own journey and I, I really want him to just know that whatever 
he chooses, he can always choose to be kind and thoughtful and um, be aware of his impact on the world. He cares a lot about animals. Um, we don't eat meat. So we've, we've had conversations about um, how animals are farm, you know, farmed and um, for consumption. And there's been times where we're walking down before the pandemic, walking in Ikea and my proudest moment, he looked up and saw the big, huge picture of like the hot dog as you're walking mm. towards the cash registers. And he was like, ew, mama, look, there's dead pig. And everyone just like looked over. You passed. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> high five, buddy. <laughs> Doing something right. But yeah, right. I think it's just, it's just, um, I, I own up to my mistakes. I tell mm. him, you know, adults are not always right. Like you don't have to listen without asking questions. I think I'm fortunate in Judaism that we teach people to question things. And so having mm. him involved in ceremony, Passover is coming up. And a huge part of that is about like asking hard questions and the kids yeah. get to ask those questions. Um, and so, yeah, just teaching him, like, he really gets to, to create the space for himself. He owns his body, doesn't have to hug people if he doesn't want to, doesn't have to kiss people. Um, my dad is French. And so, you know, oftentimes the like automatic kiss on both cheeks thing. So I'm like, no, you can just say like, no, I'm good. Right. Like we can do elbows. We can do all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah. I think for me early on, I used to like tick, he's super ticklish. So I used to tickle him and he would scream no. And, and mm. I was like, oh, okay, here's my first opportunity. Right. I can actually choose to hear his no and highlight that for him. So, um, yeah, just doing all those things and then making sure he can always have a safe place to come back to. Yeah. I, and, and I think that that as a society is what we need to rise up to is to create safe spaces for everyone uh, and, and, and instill boundaries in individuals and that boundaries yeah. are always respected yeah. and honesty. You know, it's, I think we live in a society that kind of shirks with honesty, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. It's, you know, it's that, that's where we really sort of, if I can be honest with you, excuse me, if you could be honest with me, what a privilege yeah. for me. You know what I mean? That you trust me, that you could tell me like it really is, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah. So w the future of, of women against violence against women, what, what is the, what is the future? I mean, you're starting this right now to raise awareness, to, to, to bring in some fundraising. What is the mm -hmm. future of, of your organization? Yeah, so WAVA, so the streaming for survivors is happening over the next three days. We've got um, YouTubers and um, RPGers and cooking classes and sword classes and all of that stuff. And so we're doing this because um, we got a lot of support from community, um, our online community. And this was a really awesome opportunity to engage folks in a different way that we might not have been reaching in the past. Um but I think we, the essence of who we are now is very much the essence of who we are, who we were in 1982. And so I think mm -hmm. we will always continue to provide relevant and timely um, frontline services. So services that support survivors immediately or, 
long after their assaults in whatever way. So counseling, our crisis line, um, we launched our our text and chat uh, based support wave a connect system um, during the pandemic. So trying to be agile and and meet different needs. Um, we will continue to to think about who is showing up and who's not showing up and the ways that we can expand programming to make sure that more survivors that need us can can access us. Um, and then, yeah, I think our educational outreach pieces and, and what we call shifting society or the social change piece of our work is also really important because we really do stand by the fact that we don't want to just bandage people up and throw them back into the broken world that harm them in the right. first place. Um, and so we will continue to work at shifting the conditions that made the harm possible in the first place. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's who we continue to be um, regardless of what our name is or uh, anything else, uh, whether we're working from home or working in the office um, we just continue to plug away at those things until we all hopefully work ourselves out of a job one day. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I, I work as a counselor and I say that all the time. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm just trying to work myself out of a job. hundred percent. Um, some last kind of questions for you, but, uh, so Dahlia, why did you, like, why did you get into this? Because this is incredibly, mm -hmm. this is transformative work. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to dedicate your life to this? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a survivor also. Um, and I feel like through my own experience, I was pretty clear that what happened to me was not my fault, but it impacted me strongly. Um, and as I talked to more and more of my girlfriends at the time, uh, I realized that so many of us had been impacted by sexual violence and um, that there's had to be something bigger going on. Um, I'm a big hip hop head and, and grew up in that scene. And I also was as a sociologist, just really interested in sexuality and how our sexuality has been so contrived and I don't know, like balled up into this thing that, um, that we all instinctively have and we never get the opportunity to truly authentically explore in safe ways. Um, and in my mind, what that means is inevitably sexual harm is, is going to happen. Um, and so for me that all of those things were kind of happening at the same time. And I was in college and I wanted to, to volunteer somewhere so that I could be with like-minded individuals and, um, and yeah, going through the training at WAVA was was life changing. It was the first time that I had language for intergenerational trauma, which my family also experienced. My grandmother was a Holocaust survivor and just watching some of the the emotional impacts of that on my on my family. And um, my mom is also um, a, a survivor of, of abuse, physical abuse by her mom and um you know, they both chose to live really different lives. And so that piece around like actively making decisions to change behavior um, was also really interesting to me. So, so yeah, it feels like purposeful life work. Um, I also feel like I'm floating in the soup. So what better way to be of use on this planet than to... Um, do something that yeah. like is going to impact my life as I'm doing it. 
Um, and, and I feel like I'm far enough away from my assault that I can, that I can be of use in, in ways for other survivors and, um, also be an example to them that like, you know, when you get a little bit of time, like it, it doesn't end up being the book anymore. It becomes a chapter in the book. Um, mm. you know, so. And, and, and I think that that, that term is important, you know, victim, I have a problem with that term versus a survivor. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I've survived this. I'm better from it. Uh, yeah. Last, last question before uh, telling people how to get to you. The dog. Yeah. Oh, that's all, that's all right. <laughs> um, how do you stay resilient? You, you've mm. been doing this for, for over 20, 20 years. I think you're saying uh, it'll be 20 years next year. That okay. I started volunteering, yes. Yeah. I mean, full-time, I've been doing this since 2005. Um, how do I stay resilient? I just, the people that I've had the absolute pleasure um, and honor to be alongside mm. of, um, it, like, it just makes everything so incredibly worthwhile. And then I think in the position that I'm in now, um, being able to listen to community and hear the way that there have been unintended consequences for the ways that we've provided services and being able to like actually do something to change the trajectory right. of how we move forward and how we are visionary, um, is thrilling. I don't know. Like it's being able to actually be of use for me is, yes. is so important. I, definitely don't want to be in spaces where I'm no longer able to be of use. So yeah, that, that gives me life. Wonderful. And, and, and kind of what I was picking up too, is that really it's something that we all as individuals have to do is, is be able to express ourselves as authentically as possible. And that will take us away from the, 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 the potential to harm others, mm-hmm. right? The more we can be ourselves, the more mm-hmm. at peace we can be. Mm-hmm. you know that's, yeah. that's sort of what what i've kind of understood in my own life yeah. i can't speak for anybody else but myself yeah. uh, now now for somebody who is uh an, an unfortunate survivor mm-hmm. of of uh of sexual violence of any shape or form how do they reach out um to you guys yeah i'm gonna get our toll free number um, so on our website, uh, which is wavaw.ca, um, we have access to the Wave of Connect, um, which is the text and chat support. Um, and then for local folks in Vancouver, people can call um, our uh, regular line, which is 604 255 6344. And then we do have that national toll-free number that I believe is nationwide. Um, and that's 1-877-392-7583. Okay, mm-hmm. awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Dahlia, thank you so much. And uh, special thanks to your the puppy in the background. <laughs> For just giving so many. I'll see if I can... Maybe I can show him. Oh, a cameo, a cameo would is, is yeah. necessary. I, I think I'm so. Afraid. The guest appearance with just noises would be. <laughs> okay, here we go. Oh, beauty. <laughs> this is Nino. 
Nino. Hi, Bubba. Yes. Very sweet baby Wonderful. dog. <laughs> I bet I bet I bet your little one uh, likes Nino as well, right? Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> he plays um cheetah with him and they really get their beans out together so that's great <laughs> yes and and necessary i'm afraid you know. <laughs> yes. with little ones you're like can you just get it out of your system yeah yeah so they do that with each other it's great well dahlia thank you so much uh again it's it's been a privilege to to speak with you and and to be a part of this uh yeah. sorry we had troubles figuring out the streaming there but um a wonderful conversation and, and thank you for the work that you do Thank you. Thanks for having us and thanks for being part of Streaming for Survivors. My pleasure. Once again, that was Dahlia Israel sharing with us the history of women against violence against women, its transformation over the years, and how it's not just uh, a group that supports women, but but all individuals in society, all people who need to be protected. Uh, I also appreciate how she was able to tell us why she got into this. And, uh, and, and yeah, and it's so cool to hear that, you know, after doing this for almost 20 years, she's still excited about it. She still believes in it. And she's, uh, she's got no signs of stopping. So once again, please be sure to support W-A-V-A-W, Women Against Violence Against Women, and the link to the uh, Tatilify, I think I'm saying that right, is on our Instagram. So please, uh, you know, just a dollar goes a long way for this organization in helping them continue to do the amazing work that they're doing. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you again for listening. I'm Robert Grant, and I'm probably wrong about everything.